And uh, with that in mind, Joel Farabee and uh, Harrison Strand, come on up. I, I want to I wanna have you uh, share a little fire with us and uh, what God's, God's done with you guys and through you guys in the last uh, few weeks. We welcome you back, by the way. It's good to see you guys. I tell you, it's nice to be back to be able to participate in worship in English. Um, it's really cool to see worship in a different language and to see how God can tell the same things to people um, across the world. But it's something special to be able to participate and to understand exactly what's going on and what's being said. Um, so it, it is good to be back. Um, this year was really kind of special for us because this is the team that I've been the most proud of. Even in the forming of it and everything like that, I had such high expectations for them um, because of the kids that were in, on the team and just seeing how they interact within our youth group. And as high as the expectations were, they more than exceeded them um, when we were over there. And it was something that was truly amazing to watch, not just to see lives changed in Czech students, but to see that change manifesting itself in our kids. And now they're coming back into a place where they understand the culture, where they speak the language, where they can be really effective in, in doing that. Um, and so I'm excited to see what they're going to do over the next school year. I really, really am. Um, and it, it's nice to come from a church like this into a mission trip like that because it's easy to look at it and say, like, okay, we did English camp for a week, and we didn't have any professions of faith um, in terms of, of salvation during that week. And it's easy to look at that and say, like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't successful. But I think that coming from this church helps us to measure success in a different way because what we have... So we have stories of four Czech students that we know of that at the beginning of the week really didn't think about God at all. Um, and at the end of the week, they're searching for truth within Christ. And they're in a relationship with people from their local church that can continue that. Because it's, it's one thing for us to go over there and build a relationship with them, but then when we come home, we need someone over there to continue that work. And that's why we partner with local churches over there to do that. And the cool thing is because all these teens have Facebook and everything like that, like, you know, you get done with English camp, everyone gets back home and has internet, and all of a sudden you have like 50 friend requests on Facebook of all the camp kids and everything. And it's really cool because over the course of the next year, we get to see how that plays out. We get to see how they connect in with their local church, and we get to keep in contact with them and to measure their walk with Christ and, and how close they are in their community. Um, and it's one thing to hear this from me, but I wanted to bring Harrison up here because this is his second year going, and I think that he's got a great perspective on what it's all about. We sat down Wednesday night in Prague and had a team dinner, and I asked a couple of questions like, what makes this trip so worthwhile? And what have you learned? What has changed about you as a result of it? And the answers I got were phenomenal. Um, and I'll let you hear a couple of them from Harrison. Yeah, so as Joel said, this is my second year. And I think this year is definitely a lot different from last year. I had a much better experience this year for a lot of different reasons. But anyways, for those of you who don't know, the way it works is the day one of camp, we meet all the Czech students and we split into English classes, which is usually about three Americans, like eight Czechs pretty much. And for the whole week, we are spending the overwhelming majority of our days with just these eight kids. I mean, we do get to see everyone else, but we're teaching English together, we're having discussions together, we're playing sports, we're doing camp dances, whatnot, all with the same kids. So we really, really get to know who they are throughout the whole week. I mean, of course, the first day is very awkward. You're talking to kids, so you can't pronounce their names. You have no idea what they like, what they do, and it's just very interesting. But by the end of the week, we're all such great friends, and we have relationships built that are just, it's so hard to explain how they happen in just a week, but it's such an awesome trip because you can really see a matter of extreme change in just a week. I mean, like Joel said, we had four kids who, beginning of the week, 
they didn't want anything with God. I mean, they didn't know anything about him. They didn't care to know. And then the last day, they're saying, I'm on a quest for truth, and I'm going to look for that in Christianity. And I mean, but the really cool thing is it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Well, you didn't get saved, so hopefully you will next year. But we get to partner them up with Czech Christians that are based in a local church, and they become good friends with them instead of us. So we're not the ones trying to bring them to God, but they are. So this is really just a beginning of relationships with them. And that's what's so awesome because, I mean, we're just the bridge to get them connected with Christians in their community, which we did. And, I mean, that's, I think, extreme success. Even though nobody came to Christ now, I have a good feeling that those four people will in the year. I mean, it's, you just see so much change and multiplication during the week. I mean, my first night in the discussion group, it was very bland. Only, like, a person or two spoke, and they were nothing too deep. But on the last night, we pretty much had the entire group. Actually, yes, I think my entire class all agreed for the year to have someone that they're going to go close with. And we even taught them the phrase small circle. <laughs> and they're all going to make a small circle friend this year, someone they can be accountable with and grow close with and really grow deep with because, believe it or not, they struggle with the same things as us. And that was pretty much our whole struggle in our class was nobody had a close friend, but now they're going to find one. And I think that's just <laughs> so awesome, and I've never seen that on any trip in my life. And not only that, but it teaches us Americans what to do here because if we can do this with kids who we've never met before, don't know what they speak, don't know what they like, don't know their culture at all, then why can't we do it a million times easier with kids we do know, kids we see every day that we understand. So I mean, I'm really excited to see what our youth group's going to do with all the kids that went now. And I mean, I'm moving off to Tallahassee in two weeks, so <laughs> amen. So. <laughs> I'm really excited for all the things that I learned on this trip and being able to communicate with kids that I do know now. And I know none of this would have been possible without you guys behind our backs, praying for us constantly. I can personally say I'm quite positive that I had strep throat on the trip, and that usually doesn't go away it did. on its own. But miraculously, through you guys' prayers, it just went away one morning, and that's insane. So thank you guys so much. Harrison's right when he says that this would not be possible without hundreds of people praying for us. And we now have over a dozen kids in our youth group that have felt that, that have lived that out in a foreign country where they're learning to depend on other people. I mean, one of, one of the answers I got to one of the questions is like, I learned how to depend on people even with what was safe to eat because of food allergies and not understanding the language, like asking someone, it's like, does this have such and such in it? And they'll be like, no. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> um, and so even through all of that, just to learn dependence on God and dependence on each other, um, it's worth it for these kids. And one of the phrases that we heard coming back is, I feel like I've spent the past two weeks being trained to be a missionary back home. And that is truly amazing to be a part of. And each and every one of you that was praying for us while we were gone are a part of that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Wow, so powerful. And I hope that that you um, more and more as you're here at 360, you get a glimpse of that this is our heartbeat. We do nice things for, for people. We do things for people in need. We don't uh, tout those a lot. There are some things that go, a lot of things consistently that go on behind the scenes. But at the core of it, it's about relationships and it's about bringing people to Christ. A, a lot of the world does nice things all over the, all over the globe. Uh, but without the gospel of Christ, without leading towards Christ, it, it uh, in the in the terms of eternity means uh, not much. And so I just so uh, am thrilled, honestly, that you you see the vision in our church beginning to multiply and to ripple out. And so, uh, if you're new uh, with us this morning, I hope that you that you, uh, as they say, smell what we're cooking. 
and uh, what's important to us. Not, not buildings, not programs, not uh, you know, more and more people and seats and all those things, but the, the, the true essence of what we believe Christ was about, and that is just growing those relationships small so that God is, is, uh, has more of his way in people's lives. We've been talking in this collection of conversations uh, about design, about how we're designed. And this fits so beautifully into what we're saying because the reason that we've taken time out to say, let's talk about the way God has designed us is so that we'll know how to grow into the way we're designed. If a builder goes to build a home and there are no blueprints, he, he or she is lost. You have no idea of, is it supposed to be a two-story house, a one-story house? Should it be stairs in the front, stairs in the back? You don't know. Builders absolutely depend on those blueprints to understand who, how the thing is supposed to be built, and, and we're no different. So we have taken time, two or three times out of the year, I, I like to go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 because there's so much there for us to learn. If you are on this planet wanting purpose, and I'm assuming that that is most of you, then it is important to, to tag in to the, to the creator, to the design, so that you can live out your life. Because my proposal to you is this, that if you are living outside of the design, then whether you can articulate it or not, your instinct will tell you there's just something that's not in sync here. There may be times you don't even know how to put it into words. Before I exchanged my old life for the new one that I found in Christ in my early 20s, I was at the top of my game. I, I've explained this to, to many of you. I wasn't at the bottom of the barrel. I was on the top of the, uh, uh, of the game. But I wasn't in design and in sync with my creator. I wasn't in sync with the savior of this world who had made a way for me to be in sync with the creator. And therefore, just instinctively, I didn't know even how to articulate that. I didn't know how to put it into words. If this is it, if this is, if this is all there is, and this is the top of the game, this doesn't make sense. I began to write lists of words. I didn't even know what. I, 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 something is happening to me. And now I look back and, and I could say in one sentence, I'll tell you what was, what was happening with me, the tension. I was out of sync with the way that God had designed me to be in relationship with the designer, period. Just that easy. So perhaps that helps some of you who have come in. You think, I... I, I, I'm connecting with what you're saying. I understand there's something there. Then even after we make a, a step of faith, we make that exchange of the old and the new. We have a second birth, as the Bible calls it, and we're Christians. We still stand the chance of being out of sync with God. We will completely always be out of sync with God until we intersect and encounter Christ and embrace him and have him living in our life. You may think that's, for those of you that are not Christians, you may think that's just a religious statement. But if you pursue Christ, I think that you'll find out that you will only find the solution of, of being synchronized with God in him. You, you'll have to find that for yourself and with God maneuvering in your life. I don't believe that any words of eloquence will convince you. you there, I, I believe if you're really pursuing Christ, he reveals himself. So you, you have to put some um, amount of battery cells into like pursuing uh, God. But once we're past that threshold and we pass into the threshold of being followers of Christ, I know many Christians who I believe that are out of sync one way or the other, and all of us in certain chapters of our life, certain times, certain weeks and months or, or periods that we're out of sync with, with who God wants us to be. And for that reason, it's important for us to examine the design. That's why we're having these conversations. I have been intrigued over the, over the past couple of months about something about creation that's 
that's, that seems so obvious. But when I think of the way that God created this world, it, it in and of itself is amazing that God made, and we've discussed this, God made everything ex nihilo, which is the, the, the words for out of nothing. A couple of weeks ago, I was, t- I was telling you that I was sitting with my boys after playing some basketball. They're 9 and 11. We were talking about the cool things of creation. And at the end of that, I asked him a question. I said, have you ever made anything? Have you ever created or invented anything with Legos or, or one of our kids loves clay and makes stuff with clay? And have you ever made anything that that thing can make the same thing again? In other words, you built a Lego tower, but could that Lego tower build another Lego tower? And of course, they said, no, nah, Dad, that, that, that can't happen. I'm like, well, that's the cool thing about creation, and I'm intrigued that God not only made everything out of nothing, but then he had a task. Imagine that you're God for just a day, and, 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 you, and you wake up in the morning. Well, I guess there was no morning, so you, it comes to you, and you say, I'm going to make the universe. It's my proposal, knowing the God of the Bible like I, I do in, in a limited fashion because I'm a human being, But it's my proposal that this world, this universe, the animal kingdom, the seas, the irrigation system, all those things, they're so brilliant that I just don't think God says, hey, let's just do it. I believe that he, like an architect, like an engineer, had a lot of forethought into what went into it so that by the time he said, let there be light, he knew what was coming. He knew the sequence. He knew all the the blueprints of how he was going to lay it out. That's just my proposal. And when you read the book of Job and you read the Psalms and you read the book of Genesis, you begin to pick up on that this is not just happenstance for sure, but it's just not random on God's part. Like, well, now that I have light, uh, I'll do animals. It's, it's too brilliant. It's too sequenced. So here's what intrigues me. Not only that God made it, if you're God for the day, but now you have to sustain the thing. See, it's easy to make a Lego tower, but to make a Lego tower that makes a Lego tower so there'll be more Lego towers that we all... Now that's something. You see, my car is 17 years old. People would look at it and say, that's a clunker. Why? It is a clunker. It's 70. For a car, you think, wow, 17 years old, that, that's a lot. But think about this. God created this, this sun so that because the, he created plants and now they need light and, and people need light. So, hey, I'm going to create a sun. It's this flaming ball of fire that hasn't gone out. Can you imagine if you were God and, you, and, and all of a sudden it went out in 17 years and you're, and you're God and you're like, ah, oh, dag, nabbit, a darn sun went out in 17 years. I mean, can you imagine that? I don't know if God says dag, nabbit, uh, but like, can you? No, he created it so that it was the same, the same sun that you see when you walk out of this building is the same sun that Adam saw thousands of years ago. It's the same sun that Hezekiah saw on the, on the sundial and the miracle of that. It's the same sun that David did and Moses did and George Washington and Theodore Roosevelt and everybody. The same sun because God was so brilliant that he not only created an ex nihilo from nothing, but he had the foresight and the, the, the brilliance and the capacity to create things that kept going. I find that intriguing. It's not that God just created plants like an oak tree, but he created an oak tree that could make another oak tree. He didn't create one catfish. Can you imagine that? Like, oh, man, Dave ate the only catfish. Way to go, man. There was just one. Or we've got to go to France because it's the only oak tree there, and you've got to go to France to see the oak tree. No, there's a lot of oak trees Because God created things to make other things. Listen, we are designed, the entire creation that we see with our visible is designed to multiply. We have been given the capacity. Every living creature has been given the capacity to make more of itself. It didn't have to be that way. 
we oftentimes just take things for granted. Well, it's just the way it is. Well, it didn't have to be that way. If we were God, we, we'd blow it. In fact, I was thinking of, I brought you a few pictures. I brought you a few more this morning. If we were God, and if we were designed, and we designed things, here's how things would look if, if human beings were, were the designer of the universe. Check this out. Um, I don't know. I don't get that. <laughs> See, if I were God, this is how I'd create it. Some of you are like, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Why would you put stairs under? All right, anyway, here's one. Check this out. You have to look at this a little bit. I think this was like in sequence to that song, like, what are you doing the rest of your life? North and south and east and west. I think they just went in sequence with the song with this Philip. Uh, check this out. How about that? I, I wouldn't use that water. I, you know, I was, definitely wouldn't plug my toaster into it. That's for sure. And my kids have one of these next deals. Uh, it doesn't work. You try erasing with that. It, you know, you have to get the pencil in between the paper, you know. Finally, um, I, why would you put stairs at the end of a wheelchair ramp? <laughs> See, if Steve were God, there'd be a lot of dagnabbits going on in heaven. Ah, dagnabbit, the darn sun, didn't I? Ah, jeez. When you see the beginning page of the scriptures, there are layers of miracles. But perhaps one of the greatest miracles is the miracle that God made the choice to design creation to have the capacity to make more of itself. Listen, it was a gift. It's a gift that there's more than one catfish. It's a gift that there are more than one oak tree. It's a gift that we can make more of ourselves. In fact, so often in the scripture, when you find a word in the first mention of the word, and it ripples out in a pattern, God is trying to send a message to us. When you read the first chapter of Genesis, there is a word that appears there for the first time, and the word is blessing, bless. That means God's capacity, his divine favor, his endorsement of something, I bless this I'm, I'm giving it a green light. It's a gift. And when you see that word bless, watch what it's attached to. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. And I want you to see the pattern that flows out of this first mention of the word bless. Watch. Genesis 1, 22. God has made the sea creatures at this point. And he says this. God blessed them and said be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the waters and the sea, and let the birds increase on the earth. See, God could have just said, okay, guys, I've created, you know, now make more of yourself. But he said, no, I bless you. Two verses later in verse 28, now he's made, he's made Adam. Uh, he says in, in Genesis 1:28, God blessed them, and there it is again, and said to increase on the earth. In other words, I'm blessing you. I'm, in, I'm giving you the capacity. I'm giving you the gift to make more of yourself. If you look a little later in the book of Genesis, in chapter 9, we find the story of Noah where, he, where God had to hit the reset button, and now Noah is getting ready to step off the, the, the boat. God could have said, hey, I, I need you to, make, I need you to you know, make more generations. But he attached the same word, be fruitful and increase in number. Or, uh, then God Bless Noah and his son, saying, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Not too long after that, three chapters later, God meets up with Abraham. He's going to make him a nation. He's going to create children through him. He's going to reproduce. He's going to multiply. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Every time there's an, an act of multiplication and this voice of God saying, I'm giving you a, the, the ability to multiply, there is that word bless. One more. Jacob, when God was speaking to him in Genesis chapter 26, that night the Lord appeared to Jacob and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. There it is again. Do you think God is trying to send us a message that having the capacity to make more of ourselves is a plus? It's a gift. 
It's an endowment. It is a blessing from God. So when you read these passages of the sea creatures and the animals and Jacob and Abraham and Noah, of course, God is speaking on physical terms. But he also gave us the capacity to replicate behavior, not just physical replication, not physical reproduction, but also behavior. You see it all the time in the animal kingdom. There are certain animals we're going to look at today. Consider the chimpanzee. Listen to what Britannica.com says. Animals often benefit from watching another member of their species perform a particular task. Observation in natural settings, for example, for instance, reveals that young chimpanzees intently watch their elders perform intricate tasks. These, this certainly suggests that learning by observation is very common in some and probably most species. In other words, the animals teach the younger ones, the older animals teach the younger ones how to hunt, how to behave, etc., and it's no different from us. Consider the cheetah. When the cheetah goes out to hunt, the mom and the dad cheetah, they go out to hunt. They're teaching the young cubs how to hunt, how to behave, how to be, how to act. And so they go out, they bring the cubs with them, they, they pounce on the prey, and they kill it. So they're learning by observation, but it doesn't stop there. You see, the designer has made them in such a way that these older cheetahs come out at one point, and they get their prey. I know this is kind of gross. They get their prey. They bring back the prey alive at one point and drop off the live, small, struggling animal so that their cubs will kill the animal. So they say, watch me first, and then I'm going to bring it back, and I'll watch you. How does this happen randomly? How does this design happen randomly? The answer, of course, it doesn't. God has designed all creatures to behave and for people to watch other behavior and learn. It's a scary thing when you have kids. Every parent in the room says, where did you hear that? I heard dad say it. Ah, okay, forget it then. You see, we have the capacity in us that when we're reading these words, we have the capacity to reproduce not only physically, but we have the capacity to watch, to observe, to learn behaviors. Many of us act like our parents, our grandparents, our uncles, our aunts. Many people act like their colleagues. They started acting. I started acting different when I went into high school because I started hanging out with a different group. It wasn't a good behavior. My mother will be here to testify but it was all through observation. We have that power. We like to say it this way. We use this phrase quite often here at 360. You can teach what you know. You can teach information what you know. But you can only reproduce who you are. You see, we can know a lot about the Bible. But our actions do speak louder than our words. So that people say, okay, there's Steve Boy knows a lot about the Bible. But if I'm acting like a jerk, it doesn't matter how much I know about the Bible. So Christ comes along and he begins to speak in a different spiritual language. And in the, at the end of the, the book of Matthew, as we know, he, he, he gives a blessing. Because watch, the definition of blessing rolls like this. The definition of to bless is this, to speak words invoking divine favor, watch, with the intent that the object, let's say us, will have favorable circumstances or state at a future time. So Christ comes along, and at the end of his life, he says the very same thing that the creator was saying at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. We call it the Great Commission. It seems so stale to me. Those were, that was not Christ's label. Christ didn't step up and say, and now the Great Commission. Therefore, go into all the world. He didn't say that. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I have the capacity to say what I'm getting ready to say to you. All authority, Christ said, has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, what do you mean therefore? Therefore, because I've got the power I want you to go out. I'm going to give you the capacity 
to go into all nations and make disciples of all people, teaching them to observe what I have taught and spoken to you. In other words, I wonder why we don't call it the great blessing, not the great commission. We feel like, okay, I have to. No, Christ is saying, you get to. I'm giving you that I have the power to put inside of you that you actually get to uh, go out and, 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 and be blessing to others by multiplying what you have experienced in Christ. So from this day forward, I say we call it the great blessing. Are, are you in? I say we go for that. See, I think it's, I think it's important for us to, to, at times, change our perspectives. I was thinking about this this week. You know why I'm wearing this shirt with the shirt tail hanging out and, and the, the sleeves rolled up and a pair of jeans? Because many of you are. You see, I'm swayed by that. I'm looking at Clay. He's got a pair of jeans on. He's got a shirt. His shirt tail's hanging out. His, 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 uh, his sleeves are rolled up. I, I often think this. I wonder what it would be like if, if guys could wear kilts. You know, if I came in a kilt next week, you're like, dude, that's a, bit, that's a bit weird. Now, if we're in Scotland, I don't know if they're still doing that, but I wonder if they're cooler. Honestly, I mean, like temperature-wise, I'm thinking they are. I mean, I got, you know, I got, you know, this thick material going all the way down my legs, living out here in the jungle called Florida with humidity at 150. It doesn't make sense. I say we, we call it the great blessing, and we start wearing kilts starting next Sunday. Somebody over there is really happy about that. It's a little scary. I'm picturing some of you in kilts. I take it back. I, I'm, not, I'm not going there. We do things because we multiply, because we see others do it. We know things so well, like the Great Commission, but sometimes it's like, wait a minute. A kilt would, might be cooler, maybe better. Wait a minute. It's not the commission. It's a blessing that Christ is saying, oh, you're going to experience the jazz because you're designed to be a multiplier. So guess what? Good news, I'm giving you the capacity to do that. You see, Paul said it to his young protege, Timothy, in chapter uh, in Tim, 1 Timothy 1. He said this, Timothy, I was shown mercy. God came to me and changed my life. I was shown mercy so that in me, the most crummiest of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Albert Schweitzer said these words, example is not the main thing influencing in, in others. It is the only thing. You see, there is power in the way we live. And here is the challenge, because there's always a challenge. In life, there's always a tension. It's not just warm and fuzzy. It's typically warm, fuzzy, prickly, and cold. I'll remind you that just a few weeks ago, we laid a foundation when we saw the creation of Adam, that we are part soil and part spirit. We are part dirt and part heaven. What do you mean by that, Steve? I mean we all struggle. None of us are perfect and if we're, particularly if we're in Christ, we have this divine action going on inside us, that the, the mystery of the Holy Spirit. And yet we're still in this, this, as the Bible says, this jar of clay, this flesh, this dirt, this part of us that still is in tension in civil war with the Spirit of God within us. We all experience that if we're honest. And so it's not all about, oh, I'm just I'm multiplying because here's the deal. We have the capacity not only to multiply in positive ways, but we also have the capacity to multiply in negative ways. You see, God is an amazing risk taker. I imagine that when, if God were designing and talking out loud about how he was going to make creation, I'm going to make the sea creatures like this. I'm going to separate the land. And maybe he's talking out loud. Maybe a heaven is hearing him. And then he gets to man and, and woman. He gets to human beings. And he goes, you know what? I'm, I, I've been wrestling with something. But I've got to take the risk. I'm going to give them... Ah, it's a tough 
have to even say it out loud. He might, God makes, I'm going to give to them choice. Choice. You can almost feel heaven. Choice. You know what happened in heaven when you gave the angels choice. God, why don't you just make it a lot easier and make them do what you want because it wouldn't be true love. See? And I don't want to, I'm not into making robots. I've got to give them choice. You say, I've got, how do I sustain this thing with human beings? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow them to have a physical relationship between a man and a woman. It's going to be a gift like choice was a gift, but it's a risky gift because I'm going to make it enjoyable. I'm going to make it a sense of beauty and, and joy. Do you see these blessings that God has given to us that how our soil part can take the blessing of choice and wreck it. How we can take the beautiful gift of a physical relationship between a man and a woman and wreck it as human beings in atrocities that are too, too awful to speak with with young kids in the room. If it were just adults, I'd lay them out, but I don't think I need to. With this beautiful gift that God designed. And then now he's given the choice, the blessing of multiplying. But the problem is, is that we will multiply one way or the other, whether we know it or not. And perhaps the greatest danger is that we miss that part, that we will multiply. You see, if I'm carrying a weapon, a loaded weapon today, I'm going to know it. And if I know it, I will handle that weapon with great care. But if someone slipped a loaded weapon, a pistol in my back pocket, and I didn't know it and the safety was off, and I just say, hey, guys, here's what's going on, and kaboom, I, you know, I, I lose half my hip, that happens because I was unaware of how much power I had in my hip pocket. I think the challenge for us as human beings, and particularly Christians, is that we don't understand the power that we have and being designed as multipliers because people see us and watch us and they look at how we are being and they understand, they're replicating us and emulating us whether we're doing it right or unright or healthy or unhealthy. Does that make sense? I think about my dad's golf swing. I brought today a piece of evidence. This is my father's one club. Uh, my dad and I, we played a lot of golf when I was growing up. Um, in, our, in our hometown, they had this golf course. It was a county golf course, and you could pay three bucks and play all day. I've never heard of anything like it. The, the greens were actually not greens. They were, uh, they were clay, you know, like uh, almost like a tennis court that has clay on it. It felt like coffee grounds. Most likely, that's why it was three bucks all day. Because you'd have to hit the ball up to the green, but if you hit it on the green, it's going to bounce another 100 feet or so. So anyway, wacky story. To this day, and I've, I've golfed a, a good bit, to this day, my father had, had the strangest golf swing. Now, if I were to describe my golf game, I would think of, a, I'm trying to think of the best adjective, like uh, awful, uh, crummy embarrassing. Uh, I'm a terrible golfer. You know why I'm a terrible golfer? My father was a terrible golfer. My father uh, had this strange swing. Do you know where I learned? My mom's sitting right here. Do you know where I learned my first four-letter words? Watching my dad play golf. Yes. And the two were tied together, his language and the poorness of his his golf game. So my dad would step up to, uh, to the tee and it was a mix of, um, of golf and baseball. Because, I'm not kidding, every single hole, he would walk up like a batter in the box, and he would grind his feet. I th- you'd think, well, maybe it's just the first hole. No, all the way through, 18 holes, he would grind his feet. And you know how some golfers, when you watch on TV, they get right up to the ball, and you know they're just finessing it? Not my dad. He was like this. He would grind in like this, and he would get in this stance like a baseball player with your knees bent. And, and, and so he would get it like this, kind of in the air. And then he would just, 
I better move over here. He was just like this. Just smack the smithers out of it. And then he would say a four-letter word. And this is how I learned to play golf. So I remember in high school one time, I walked up and I had some friends say, yeah, let's go play golf. I'm like, yeah, I've played golf before. So I get up and I'm, I'm like, okay, my turn, hole number one. And I'm doing this. I'm doing the grind. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm golfing. And so, you know, I hit it. It went 10 feet that way. And I said a cuss word. I'm like, this is how I play golf. Until I learned otherwise. My father never told me, Steve, this is how you should do it. I just watched him. I just watched him. There are fathers sitting in prison today who didn't tell their sons to follow them in prison. The numbers are stunning by just pure observation of how many sons follow their fathers in crime just through observation. Have you been keeping up with the numbers in Chicago recently of the number of murders every weekend? It's stunning. 40, 50 murders every weekend, often gang-related and kids get in gangs because they watch other kids get in gangs. The power of influence is off the chart. The danger is that we forget that we have been given this incredible potential blessing of being multipliers, whether good or bad. Now, see, there is a, the power of individual influence like my dad. But listen, we as human beings not only have individual influence, but the power of collective influence. What do you mean by that? Let me, let me explain. Consider the chicken. The chicken will eat the, the feed that's thrown out on the ground and will eat until insatiation, which means there, you couldn't fit another kernel in. I mean, they will just keep eating and eating and eating until they're plump full. And if you had a chicken who was plump full to the brim, and you took feed and you threw it out to the other chickens, and the other chickens started eating, this chicken is designed in such a way that he will start eating the feed, even though he's to the brim, because the others are eating the feed. Designed that way. We are designed that when people, when a lot of people together start doing something, whether it's good or bad, whether they're doing something noble or they're jumping off the cliff, we have the power of, we've been given that design like, whoa, that must be good. Do you know why I have an iPhone? Because everybody else has an iPhone. Honestly, I didn't do great research on the iPhone. I didn't do homework like this is absolutely the best phone is. I think it is now. But when, I, when I'm like looking, I looked at you guys. You have an iPhone. You have an iPhone. I, my first iPhone was from Clay's mother. Clay's mother has an iPhone. I, wonder if, I mean, if Clay's mother has an iPhone, the iPhone must be good. See, I'm full, but hey, the rest of the chickens are eating, so I'm going to eat. You see, the danger that we live in is that culture is moving in a direction that is not synchronized with the ancient truth of God. It's dangerous because the church will increasingly be under pressure to follow culture rather than follow God's word. Just yesterday, my wife told me, uh, that she was reading an article about our particular favorite Christian songwriter in this country who now no longer believes some of the primary stories in the Bible, like Noah's Ark. It's just a fable now. It's untrue. 
I followed a, a pastor uh, online and audio and podcasts and all that for years. I bought his DVDs and listened every single week, read every single book. Now he begins to, he, he writes a book that says, you know what? I, I'm rethinking things. And I believe that everybody is going to go to heaven, that there is no, there would be no need for a savior, that everybody's going there. I just read an article last week that he talks about that the culture, the boat of the culture has left the dock and the, the, the church needs to catch up with it. And particularly in the area of homosexuality. See, what's happening is that Christian leaders are crumbling under the, under the pressure of multiplying the culture rather than holding the line of truth. Now, see, I'm not picking on any, any particular uh, area. I mean, it could be any area, just not homosexuals. I've told you, I, I have many friends that are homosexuals. I love them. They're good friends of ours, long-term friends of ours. But I'll say it again. That only grace comes after hearing truth. Someone had the courage when I was in college to come to me and say, Steve, you're doing this. I'm telling you, it's, you're, it is not in sync with God. You're not in sync with God. They didn't hold back the truth. And because they didn't hold back the truth, I recognized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And when grace came, I thought, oh, thank you, God. You see, if we say, oh, you can sleep together, everybody's sleeping together. I mean, you got to catch up to that boat. That boat left the dock a long time ago. So you, you know, as a Christian leader, hey, I just say, don't worry about it. Just sleep with anybody you want. Have a relationship outside marriage. Just go for it. And then when God, how does God have a chance to come to you with truth so that you understand grace? See, truth is spoken with a motivation of love. Truth leads to grace. If, ever, if there is no sin, why do I need grace? We cannot, we cannot as Christian leaders, we cannot as Christians in general, because all the chickens are eating something in the food, we can't just go along and say, well, everybody else is doing it. We must be holding the line of God's ancient truth. Period. That's it. Thank you, the six of you. Glad you're with me. Feeling really good support there. I will not be afraid. And we will not be afraid because of love. Think about how unfair and unloving it would be for an oncologist not to tell his or her patient that he or she has cancer because I want him to be nice. I can't tell Bobby's got cancer. It might hurt his feelings. Can you imagine? Of course not. I can't tell Bobby's got cancer because I think other people would think I'm condemning saying you got cancer. No, we have to multiply grace and hold our line against culture. We must. And if, I hope you don't misunderstand me. I would never walk into the, to, to the, anybody's cubicle at work and say, now listen, Bob, you got sin cancer, right? Of course not. We say, I love you enough. I love you enough to say that when you're in sync with God, it's, it's awesome. And when you're not, it's horrible. And you're, you'll live your whole life out of sync with God. Now, if I haven't stepped on all of our toes, let me take it a step further. Let me move to our culture, the church culture. You see, the church culture, we also keep reproducing and multiplying a culture where the bar has been lowered. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but the number of times that I've heard, but other churches have pancake breakfasts. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Other churches have this program or that program. 
Other churches put on a Christmas pageant. Great. God bless them. But we in this church culture, must, there must be someone to stand up and say, stop the madness. This is not sacred entertainment area. We are serious about making disciples. And if we're serious about making disciples, we won't have time for these things. We must be mean and we must be lean. But if we look at how the church culture just keeps reproducing, like the chickens will follow right after them and say, well, let's just do that. Instead of saying, what is our commission? What is our blessing? What is our capacity? If you look at the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you could, if you're drawing a timeline, you could say, let's put the major points of pivotal uh, action on this timeline. You say, well, God created, uh, you know, he put Moses in place for the nation of Israel and he called him to lead. Boy, that, that, that one would go on the, the, the timeline of Israel. Boy, the Red Sea, remember that? They were trapped. God was going to show him and he kept referring back to that throughout the whole Old Testament. Going through the Red Sea and being delivered from, from Egypt. Boy, that, that'd be one right there. The building of the temple, finally, for the nation of Israel. Boy, well, that, that'd be on the timeline. One of the most pivotal moments in the history of Israel came because they were looking at other cultures. And they said, we want to be like that too. You see, from Moses for many, many years in this culture, they had what was called a theocracy. That meant that God was king. No man was king. God gave them prophets. He gave them judges, these men who would help sort things out. He would deliver words from God, etc. But no king. But see, Israel looked at other culture. They looked at the other chickens, and they wanted to, to multiply like them. They wanted to do what they were doing. And so they went to Samuel, who was the judge of the nation, and they uttered these words in 1 Samuel 8 and 20 because this would go on the timeline, one of the most pivotal moments in the nation of Israel. And they said these words, we want a king over us. You see, what they were saying is we no longer want God to be a king over us. We want, we want a, a king over us. Then we will be like all the other chickens. We'll be like all the other nations. You see, I believe strongly. Listen, tune in for those of you that are believers in Christ. It's so easy to look at even our own faith in our Christian culture and just keep replicating it without taking honest inventory and saying, is this what Christ wants? Is this the way we're designed? Let's go back to the great blessing. I'm not calling it commission. Go into the world and make disciples, teaching them one-to-one, -one, pouring into them. You look at our culture and, and our churches and I'm like, where is that? Because we're so inundated with the things that are popular, the things that make me feel good, and all oh, that was a great show, and all that. And, and nothing in, in, in and of itself is, is wrong with those things, but it's what we're not doing. And someone, there has to be a Martin Luther somewhere that says, stop it. It's the only way. So how in the world do we cut off replicating all those things over and over? Watch, Paul writes his last letter to Timothy, his young protege, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We looked at this last week. He said, Timothy, heads up, man. Mark this. There will be terrible days in the last, uh, terrible times in the last days. When I read this list, it's easy for me to think, point my finger at the world. But could we see these, this list of things through the eyes of the church and the church culture? You see, in the church culture in the last times, Timothy, people will be lovers of themselves. What do you mean by that? It means that they, they really want their way. And if they don't get their way, they, they get really upset. That's being a lover of yourself. They want things to be catered to the way they want them. If the music's good and the preaching's good, ah, oh man, that's, I, I'm going there, man. Forget the mission. Forget the vision. Forget the operating system. Man, I, I, want, I want a piece of that because I, 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 that's what I want. See, our culture outside starts to eke in. Timothy, uh, Timothy, heads up, people will be lovers of money. Oh, boy, I'm going to step on a lot of toes here. When I think of the church culture, in 95% of 
of the church culture has said, no, God, I'm not giving you 10% of what, I, of what you own. Not going to do it. 95%. I'm broken for that because it's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. I'm broken for that. I'm broken that we fit the bill. I'm broken that this is what we keep multiplying. Some of you need to say to your children, we're not able to buy that because we love giving to God. And it will teach them. Dad, what are you doing? Hey, man, I got the privilege of giving back to God. I'm writing a check. We're open with our giving with our kids. I tell my kids, I say that, hey, we can't get every, all that we want. We, we just can't because we, we love to give to God as part of it. And I'm trying to plant the seed. We got a little box where they put their, their tithe in. Do they, they, they love it. Just kidding. They hate it. <laughs> but they're learning. Why? You know why? I tell you, I'm trying to stop the consumerism that all the other chickens in the, in the yard are teaching them. That it's all you. Get all you can. Get, buy everything you can. Take yourself over a budget. Live in credit. And we're saying, we stop that. Our church is not in debt. We've never been in debt from day one. Why? For one reason. I'm stopping the madness. We're not building big things we can't afford. Why? We're stopping the madness of replicating what's true in so many places that are agonizing over their budget. We have to stop the madness of church culture. And I love the church. Martin Luther loved the church, but he spoke some very hard words. So I hope that you understand where I'm coming from. Timothy, be careful. They'll love themselves. They'll love their money. They won't be thankful. They'll love pleasure more than they'll love God. And they'll have a form of being sacred and shiny and godly, but without its power. All right, at this point, you may be bummed out. But there's hope. There's hope. You see, he goes through this list. I only gave you a partial list. If you were bummed out, I could really bum you out because there, there's a whole longer list than this. So, so Timothy, Paul thought there was the last days when he was living, by the way. He said, Timothy... People are going to love themselves. They're going to be selfish. They're going to keep everything or something. They're going to go on and on and on. Timothy's probably reading the letter like, dang, man, things are off. This is really... But then there's this word that Paul says just a few verses later in verse 10. He says, you, however, oh, I love the common words of the scripture. The ifs, the buts, the therefores, the howevers. You see, he's saying this, there's this wave of multiplying and things are just being re replicated. But Timothy, you, however... Have know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my suffering, my golf swing. Timothy, you've seen my golf swing. For that reason, you have the chance to live differently. How can we change the church culture? Are you interested? Really, you got to be interested first. If you could care less and you can't get the way to lunch, just tune out. I'm not talking to you. But if you're interested, how do we change the madness of the church culture? It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you being a Paul saying, however, I'm going to do it differently. Because watch, check this quote out. Sometimes if you want to change a man's mind, you have to change the mind of the man next to him first. I like speaking with this. I feel like I get a lot of power. That's pretty far-reaching, Dave. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, there are no more stadium crusades from Billy Graham. They're gone. It's a different age. And in this age, if you want to change, it's going to be me and Dave and Dave to Clay, and Clay to Jordan, and Jordan to Brandon. And that is how we can stop the madness. You have been given the power to reproduce, the gift to multiply. You will either multiply in a way that God is saying, oh yeah, 
or you're going to be multiplying in a way that God's saying, oh, no, I took a much bigger risk. Which is it going to be? Many of you know I'm, my background is in piano. And I took piano from six years old, and I took 25 years of piano lessons. It's a lot. And as a kid, from first grade through high school, you go to piano lesson, and you show up at the piano teacher's door, and you come in, and there's one piano sitting there, and the teacher sits right next to you, and uh, you, you play, and he or she tells you, things that you can change and edits what you're doing. I'll never forget when I went to college. Now at an advanced level in a music conservatory, music school. And when I walked in the teachers, my studio, the lesson for the first time, I had this wow moment. You know why? There were two pianos. You see, at the advanced level, you've already got a vast amount of knowledge. But see, when you're at an advanced level, you're sitting at one piano, the teacher sits at the other. And now it's just not information. It's watch this. No, Steve, watch, watch, watch. You drop your wrist, you pull it out. Drop and pull. Steve, you do it. Drop and pull. And if you saw a film watching that, there'd be two people sitting side by side. Drop and pull. Drop and pull. The power of multiplication is yours. People are watching. You are multiplying today, whether you know it or not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being such a risk taker. Loving us enough to risk the, the gift of choice. To love you or to hate you. To embrace you or deny you. You've given us beautiful gifts like the gift between a man and a woman. You have given us, God, this gift of having the capacity to make more of ourself. But it was such a risk on your part, God. Not one single one of us in this room would say we're perfect and we're multiplying God perfectly. But today, more than anything, I, I ask you, God, that you would accentuate the truth to us that we are multiplying one way or the other. And that would give us a wake-up call with our spouses, our relationships, our boyfriend, girlfriend, our friends at school, our children, our parents, our grandparents, our leaders, the people at work. They are all watching We are sending God a multiplying message, whether we know it or not. So I ask God today, we ask together, that you would help us to take your gifts that were risky very seriously. That we recognize, God, today, that you've designed us to multiply in such a way that will be divine favor for others. Help us, God, to be willing to address ourselves as Christians, address ourselves as the church culture, and not to, to point a finger, but anyone but ourselves, to say, let's stop the madness. We understand how the world will go. That's easy. But how the church goes can be up to us depending on how we multiply. I pray, God, as the pastor of this church, for more and more individuals who will catch the ancient truth of your scriptures to say, I want to be a multiplier, a disciple maker, one that is going to impact the kingdom.
I pray, God, today for those who have caught themselves, who find themselves caught in a bad habit because they have followed the chickens of this culture, whether it be in a, in a, in a moral area, whether it be an unhealthy habit, whatever that is, that somehow they've justified it because everybody else does it. I pray, God, that you would give them the power to experience what it is to say no, to stop the flow of multiplying from this culture so that they will enjoy being in sync with you according to their design. And as I close this prayer, God, I, I call on believers to pray with passion that together, God, we pray for those who have not embraced Christ who perhaps don't even know what that means, who would say, I, I know that I'm out of sync with God, but I've never settled the issue between he and, and myself, that there is still a, a, a gap that I don't even know how to put words, that we pray for those who do not know Christ. And we pray, Father, that perhaps there are many reasons, fear, uh, stereotypes, skepticism, whatever that may be, that you would break down the barriers of whatever it would be that would keep them from coming to Christ today so that they can experience the design in which they were made to be in sync with the creator through Jesus Christ. Finally, Father, I pray for those who have taken on the habits of their parents, their mother, their father, perhaps their grandparents, their uncle, some adult in their life, where they are caught in a current that they feel like they can't swim out of, an undertow of addiction or abuse, of anger, because they saw their parents or the adults that, that raised them. And somehow, God, they've come to believe that they're stuck with that for life. And I pray, God, today that they will understand that Christ has all authority in heaven and earth to break the chains of those things in their life so that they can be free of them. We pray, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, that the day they would reach their arm up to Christ and say, please save me from this current that I feel like I've taken on from watching and observing adults in my life. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Creator, gift giver, risk taker, and designer of our souls. We love you, God, today and need you so much. And we pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.